This is hell. Coming to you from hellish, smoky Chicago, this is hell. The air quality in Chicago is currently abysmal. I wish I could say that the cloud of smoke that's descended on the Windy City was from a lively gathering at office hours. But alas, not even the esteemed Carrie's crew can produce this impressive of a smoky plume. Side note, no office hours until July 5th. But alas, this plume blew in from farther afield. The wildfires in Canada have my eyes burning and my allergies already bad this time of year going nuts. What better way to spend a beautiful June day, precious month of Chicago weather in our local calendar, than limiting uh, my time outdoors to avoid breathing in a campfire as much as possible. At least when I choose to fill my lungs with my favorite medicine, I can get nice and baked, lift my mood, help handle anxiety and depression, and take the edge off of this nice burning little world we've created for ourselves. A deep-pocketed few are far more responsible for that state than most of us, but we're all connected through it. I can only imagine how this climate change-fueled emission is impacting uh, the elderly and uh, vulnerable people in our community, but hey, I guess we're getting a taste of what our friends in the American West experience every year for longer periods of time and with greater frequency thanks to climate change making spring come earlier, fall come later. And droughts grow far more frequent while we continue to spray our precious and in the West uh, increasingly scarce resource, water, onto high priority properties like golf courses and lawns in Scottsdale, Arizona. Speaking of water, our sage Supreme Court and all its wisdom recently decided to take a 14-year-old dispute between neighbors in Idaho over filling in a wetland to severely weaken one of the most consequential pieces of legislation of the 20th century, the Clean Water Act. On May 23rd, the robed wizards of the Constitution decided in Sackett v. EPA that most wetlands in the United States are not, in fact, protected by the Clean Water Act. Look up the case and read it, dear listeners. Sackett v. EPA. The reasoning is truly stupefying. And all their ecological and hydrological expertise, the justices in the majority ruled that only wetlands connected to navigable waterways by surface water flows are protected under the Clean Water Act. Never mind that most water connects to other waterways underground. If Sam Alito can't see it, it isn't real. Apparently, object permanence is not the conservative legal movement's strong suit. 
The ruling frames the issue as looking out for the rights of landowners, invoking that old notion that landowners are the true citizens of the United States to be protected by the law while others are bound by it. This ruling isn't for the little guy as much as their language would have you believe, but rather it's for special kinds of people. Kinds of people like exurban uh, land developers who want to bulldoze forests and prairies and fill them with McMansions and to dump the disturbed soil and gravel they produce into lakes, streams, and swamps nearby. Now, as long as those swamps and lakes and wetlands aren't connected by some sort of visible stream or other surface connection to navigable waterways, the waters of the land uh, aren't protected under the Clearwater Act anymore. It's also for industry, who've longed for the days when they could dump their effluent behind their facility, consequences be damned for anyone or anything who might be poisoned by it, downstream or next door. And remember, listeners, these are the same conservative justices who have long painted themselves as courageous, as a courageous bulwark against what they call judicial activism, or legislating from the bench. At least when those rulings were expanding the rights of many marginalized Americans, be it racial minorities, women, queer people of all sorts. Uh, and they also opposed this so-called judicial activism, uh, giving these same people equal protection under the law, under the 14th Amendment which has pretty um, an unambiguous language about it. Uh, again, for people other than white landowners. On behalf of white landowners, however, they're giving up the game. Conservative justices and the legal movement behind them have yet again taken a narrow local case, a neighborly dispute, a 14-year-old one at that, and use it to limit the jurisdiction of an agency that business and the right, and even in some cases much of the liberal center, have despised since its establishment in 1970, the Environmental Protection Agency. Because water doesn't exist if you can't see it, this is hell. I'm producer Will Ippen, filling in for Chuck Mertz during his convalescence. I'm happy to report that Chuck is still alive and well, although he's feeling a great deal of pain from Tuesday's surgery. If things go according to plan, he will return to the show after two weeks off. In the meantime, you're stuck with me. You should be able to catch Chuck next time office hours convene on July 5th at Carrie's Lounge at 2251 West Devon Avenue in Chicago's beautiful and currently smoke-filled West Ridge neighborhood. He very much appreciates all the well wishes that have been coming in through the various channels. And in case he's listening at home, I thought it'd be nice to read some of those well wishes over on Facebook. 
Ashwin R. replies to the announcement that our boy is home and on the mend. Ashwin R. replies, indefatigable, really. Uh, Jeff Dorchin exclaims, hallelujah. While Thomas K. says, wonderful. See you at office hours tonight, Chuck. Not likely, Thomas. Mark M. wishes Chuck speedy recovery. Adam A. says, great news. Be well, Chuck. Tina P.W. Love you, Chuck Mertz. Kelly H. says, yay. With three exclamation points. Over on Twitter, the well wishes also pour in. 21st Century Poet says... All the best, Chuck. We need you 100% at This Is Hell as soon as possible. Chris K. says, get well soon. Edson says, all the best, Chuck. May your recovery be speedy. Take all the time you need. Looking forward to your return. And the patrons have been uh, chiming in, too. Steve S. says, awesome. Old Grouch says, now rest up. Glad to hear you survived and are mending. Neil C. says, now keep them intestines where they belong. That's the idea. Daphne M. says, go Chuck. Mike, the Giga Grouch, heal well and quickly. While Bart wishes Chuck speedy recovery and says, hang in there. Brianna H. says, thank you for the update. It's great to know it went smoothly. Keith T. Great news. Now that superpower can kick in. More on that later. Christina also says, get well soon, Chuck. And Todd H. says, huzzah, get well soon. Mark H. says, may your recovery be short and easy. Take care. Laddie O says, hell yes. While Hugh has been contributing a lot of questions from hell for Chuck recently. Keep it up, Hugh. Hugh says, woohoo. Now that intestinal wall, now show that intestinal wall who the boss is, Chuck. Get well soon. And finally, Adi says, get well soon, Chuck. We need you back here in hell. So as you can hear, Chuck. You are missed and well-loved by all. While we eagerly await the return of God's favorite radio and podcast host, we also wonder what form he will take as he recovers. This week's question from hell gives us some room to speculate. The question is, what superpower do you hope Chuck has after his surgery? What superpower do you hope Chuck has after his surgery? I'll report the rest of your answers after the interview and De Jeff Dorchin's moment of truth. Back two presidential elections ago, Jeff shared some warnings about Marianne Williamson, which now bear repeating and may be applying to RFK. Eager to hear more about that. Today's interview from The Vault comes to us from the same July 7th, 2007 show that yesterday's interview with S. Derek Turner on Political Talk Radio came from. 
This interview features Jeremy Leeming, who's a communications associate for Americans United for Separation of Church and State. He joined Chuck on July 7, 2007 to discuss his article, Christian Conservatives Are Trying to Take Dominion in America and They Have Powerful Friends. With titles like that, who needs a summary? Without further delay, let's roll the interview. I'll see you all back in the present on the flip side. Manufacturing dissent since 1996. This is hell. Then on the line with us right now is Jeremy Leeming. Jeremy is... Uh, Jeremy is a communications associate for Americans United for Separation of Church and State. You can find out more about their organization by going to au.org. He had an article that appeared at Alternet this week entitled, Christian Reconstructionists Are Trying to Take Dominion in America, and They Have Powerful Friends. Good morning, Jeremy. Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, It's great to have you on the show. Um, You know, uh, one of the things that we keep hearing about the right wing, whether it's neo conservatives in foreign policy, or it's the Christian right here domestically within the United States, that they are all weakening, that they are all, you know, faltering because of the failure of the Bush administration. Are you seeing within the Christian right, are you seeing any kind, because we keep hearing reports of this, but you actually went, you know, and studied them firsthand. You're right on the front lines. Do you see any weakening of the Christian right politically? Well, uh, no, I, I think that the conventional wisdom that you, well, so-called conventional wisdom you just talked about is kind of popular with uh, certain uh, parts of the media, mainstream media in particular. Uh, but this, uh, I've been to three of these type of events in a row now. This was the second one. And this group, uh, again, as I noted in the article, had the backing of uh, some very powerful, very well-backed uh, religious right organizations, including the Southern Baptist Convention, and the Alliance Defense Fund, which was helped founded by uh, James Dobson. And, and both James Dobson and Richard Land of the Southern Baptist Convention uh, continue to uh, remain very influential uh, within the Republican Party. Uh, indeed, Land has been uh, made it well known that uh, if Fred Thompson gets in the race, he's, he's right there uh, with him. And you probably also noticed that uh, other Republican candidates like Mitt Romney and John McCain have uh, visited Regent University and Liberty University fairly recently to give addresses. So uh, at least with the uh, candidates running for the uh, Republican Party uh, nomination, uh, they take the religious right still uh, very seriously. And uh, again, at this gathering in Asheville, North Carolina, uh, you, you had several organizations that remain very, uh, very well funded, uh, very well known, and very well connected. Uh, so, I, I, I think that the argument that uh, the religious right is uh, somehow passe or is faltering or is weakening is a little over, little overheated, little overblown. I mean, it may be uh, some wishful thinking uh, on the parts of uh, some pundits and. Uh, or it, it makes for maybe a new angle uh, on a story. Uh, one of the things when I was uh, doing a little bit of, the, of research before uh, during uh, during this week for our interview today, um, 
one of the things I came up with was that there were 13.4 million African-American voters in the 2004 presidential election. And I couldn't find an actual number for people who determine them, who describe themselves as evangelical, but there are 16.1 million members of the Southern Baptist Convention. That makes it the second largest church in the United States outside of the Catholic yeah. Church. Um, so just given those numbers, is it fair to say that, because I don't, I don't have the actual voting totals, is it fair to say that the uh, Christian right, that uh, folks from uh, evangelical Christian, uh, even as you call them, Reconstructionist churches, uh, make up a, as much of a voting block and an influence on American uh, government and governing today uh, as African-American population does? Uh, oh, I think they, I think they have, and in some instances, maybe more. I, I think, of course, the uh, election in 2000 and 2004, the presidential election I'm talking about, uh, they made, and quite frankly, going back to 1980, when uh, Ronald Reagan's first election, uh, big turnouts of the, that strain of voter, the evangelical Christian voter, uh, if they can turn that block out, yes, it's a very big block and can be uh, yeah, extremely very influential, and and quite frankly, uh, probably much more so uh, than the African community. Uh, and the SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, Pat Robertson, uh, and other uh, fairly well-known religious right uh, or Christian right activists, and they like to point that out frequently that they do have, they claim, and I and I and and, and I think that uh, polls bear this out. Uh, if they can, they, they've got a big base to gener to 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 generalize, to pump up, and if they can do that, uh, they can indeed and have influenced public policy uh, in my lifetime, anyway, uh, for quite some time. I mean, has it waxed and waned? Yes, of course it has. Uh, I think that there was a setback, obviously, for them in the midterm uh, 2006 elections. Uh, there was some. Uh, there were some who obviously didn't make it to the polls like they did in 2004. Uh, and I think what you see right now is you got Richard Land and some other heavyweights on the Christian right front who uh, are, you know, feverishly working to uh, try to give their base some hope, uh, some support, and to, to energize them. Uh, and that, that, that I think, is, they do have a challenge, I have to admit there, because at the moment the Republican Party uh, it seems to be floundering in terms of trying to find a candidate that will appease uh, the religious right base. Uh, the simple fact of the matter is they've got to get through the primary first, and you know that's uh, the religious right does tend to dominate the primary voting. Whether whether the uh, Christian right is waxing or waning, because we've heard reports of uh, the Christian right having difficulty in recruiting younger people or people who are involved with the Christian right uh, having difficulty getting their own children to be involved in the Christian movement. But still, you know, we don't see, uh, at least as far as I know, I haven't seen any precipitous decline in the number of people on the Christian right. So whether it is waxing and waning right now, uh, this is something that's going to be uh, the religious right, the Christian version of the religion right, the religious right, this sort of American fundamentalist crowd is going to be with us forever now in American uh, political history. We're not going to be able to ever put this genie back in the bottle again, correct? Uh, no, no. I, I think, yeah, it is, as far out, long after I'm gone, I, I think that uh, Americans United for Separation of Church and State and other organizations will be contending with this situation. Uh, the, the Bill of Rights uh, has been controversial since the get-go, 
And there's always been a, a fairly a very vigorous uh, fundamental strain, at least going back to William Jen, uh, Jennings Bryan, uh, that is is very strident in, in claiming that this nation is or should be a Christian nation. I don't think that crowd is ever going to go away. And and again, I think that there will there'll be peaks and and uh, of their power and whatnot. But uh, yeah, I think that folks like myself, like I said, Americans United. We'll have plenty of work to do long after uh, I'm gone and the leaders of, of the organization right now are gone. Yeah, no, it's it's an ongoing debate, and I think it won't. It's not going to go away anytime soon. Right, and I think, I see, because I just want to make sure that, you know, I don't, I think it's a mistake for those uh, who are opposed to the intersection of church and state to think that this, that we're just in the midst of, uh, you know, not a fad, but we're just in the midst of some sort of upsurge in uh, religious fundamentalism being involved with our governing of our country, um, I, that this is something that's going to be going on now, continuing forever. This isn't is going to, we're not ever going to be able to get to a pre, uh, you know, Jerry Falwell era where there was sort of at least a separation within the pulpit and uh, the election box, at least at that point in time. Because I think that sometimes Americans, are, those on the left in America, are just sitting around and waiting for this to kind of end. But you went to this conference, and this conference really is fascinating. It's in Nashville, North Carolina. It's called the American Vision Conference. It's run by the uh, Southern Baptist Convention, or at least there's a lot of uh, people from that organization there. Um, this At one point, you have a speaker talking to the crowd, and he's telling the crowd that, I know that you're on the fringe, but the way that he is saying it, it seems like he's thinking of these people as leading thinkers, not as conspiracy nuts and people who are extremists, but leading thinkers for the rest of the—for the the future of the Christian right. Um, So is this—am I getting this right? Are these people who are on the fringe, or are these people who are leading thinkers? Well— Gary North definitely is, and I think it's fair to describe him, and others would too, as a leading thinker uh, of the Reconstructionist movement, no doubt about it. I mean, uh, uh, he, he's, he's their big name, and uh, the, the folks there with him uh, from the Alliance Defense Fund or the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, they also see themselves known not as uh, you know, off the edge. They're using fringe in terms of we're on the leading edge, maybe the cutting edge of of saving America, right? Uh, of bringing America back uh, to its religious uh, moorings. You know, it's it's strident Christian uh, base. Uh, that, that's kind of the way I see them as using uh, fringe. Uh, and you know, indeed, Gary North goes on to say that you know, uh, if if God uh, you know, God has His way. That uh, that uh, this fringe is going to be a blessing. This is their blessing, you know, because uh, they'll eventually win out. Well, you, uh, t- uh, tell our audience what Reconstructionism is, because I think that most Americans, and I think people even who are listening to our show, who are skeptics, who might even be cynics, uh, I think that they would be surprised to find out. Uh, not only what Reconstructionism is, but how readily it's embraced in uh, the mainstream, really, of the Christian right. It's being more embraced. Again, you you had some major organizations sponsoring this event. Uh, Reconstructionism is essentially the call for, uh, you know, uh, taking down a a democracy and replacing it with a uh, theocracy, a strident Christian theocracy, law that's based on Old Testament biblical law, and most of it. 
uh, obviously not all of it, but they, they like a lot of stuff out of Leviticus, especially uh, what they interpret as uh, harsh codes against uh, gays, uh, for instance, uh, adulterer, adulterers, uh, murderers, that, that, you know, there's uh, uh, people who curse their children, for that matter. Uh, it, it's a very, uh, uh, you know, very strident view of uh, replacing secular law with biblical law. Uh, that is indeed, uh, you know, at, at the core of it, what, what they're talking about. Uh, they, and they feel like they believe that uh, they have this God-given duty to indeed uh, pursue that agenda, that uh, if, they, if, they, if they fell, you know, they're failing God, that uh, uh, God's put them uh, here for this purpose. Uh, but you're talking about, again, uh, at the end of the day, uh, a law that would not be based or grounded in the U.S. Constitution, which is a secular document, but would be taken from uh, the, the moral codes of the Bible. This is what shocks me, because I think that it leads to the hypocrisy or double standard that uh, the current administration, uh, and maybe you could even say the Clinton administration did as well, as far as the way in which they label terrorists and the way in which they are uh, use surveillance against organizations that are uh, are basically political action organizations. If it's an environmental group, you can bet that they're being labeled eco-terrorists and that the FBI is listening in on their phone calls or the net or the NSA or whoever. Um, but when you look at the Christian right here, you have you know over a thousand people, almost fifteen hundred people meeting. Uh, as you said, that they are getting money from some people in the mainstream of uh, Christian fundamental inside the mainstream of Christian fundamentalism, and they're talking about overthrowing the laws of the United States to replace them with another set of laws. Do you think that if these people weren't Christians, that this organization would be either on a terrorist watch list or wouldn't even be allowed to organize here in the United States, especially after nine eleven? If this if this was in a Muslim or, or Islamic gathering, uh, they'd probably be in Gitmo. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, the, 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 this kind of talk would be terrifying to uh, to, to, to those folks uh, uh, in our government right now. Uh, and let me say that I don't, I, you know, I'm not for, you know, shutting down folks who hold these or even espouse these types of views. Uh, but... Uh, I, I don't like the hypocrisy in, in terms of, you're right, uh, the simple fact of the matter is we do know that mosques in this country uh, have been, uh, quite frankly, infiltrated, and the, and the FBI shows a lot of uh, interest in uh, uh, some mosques uh, in, in Michigan and in other parts of the country. Uh, but, of course, uh, these folks, the Christian Reconstructionists, uh, I, I doubt seriously anybody from uh, the federal government uh, is indeed uh, you know, listening in on their rhetoric or their conferences. In fact, uh, these groups are connected with groups that are very friendly uh, with the current administration. The Southern Baptist Convention being the being the main one, uh, the Alliance Defense Fund being another. So, uh, no, these it's kind of there is a hypocrisy. There is a strange kind of uh, you know this type of radical talk of uh, essentially, as you said. Uh, doing away with our form of democracy is that uh, it's it's supported by friends of the administration, uh, but uh, religious extremists of other stripes 
uh, th- those folks, uh, no doubt, are being carefully watched and, and monitored. Is this uh, more dangerous? I mean, this is kind of a softball question, but is this more dangerous because it's, you know, there's obviously political overtones to what this organization, what the Christian right wants to do with the Southern Baptist Convention, what this conference wants to do, uh, what Reconstructionists want to do in replacing American law with biblical law. Um, but is this, is this kind of uh, mixing politics with faith, and therefore, you know, it goes unquestioned because you have to believe in it because it has to do with spirituality. Does that make this kind of political thought more dangerous? Than Than any other type of political thought, once you inject religiosity to it? uh, Well, yes, I mean, I, well, I I think that it, 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 I, dangerous, I don't know if I use the word, I I think it's disconcerting and, and definitely troubling. I think that you know, uh, there's any kind of mob mentality. I mean, when you get large groups of people uh, taking extreme positions, whether they be on uh, the environment or other areas, can they they can tend to become humorless and uh, uh, and you know, extremely strident and, and out of hand. Uh, I think uh, the re- Christian Reconstructionists. Uh, I do think that's a very troubling and disconcerting. Uh, connection of, of politics and religion, uh, uh, because obviously, I, uh, if, if we've got enough public policy, as far as I'm concerned, that's based on or too uh, closely influenced by religion. Uh, these people want a whole lot more of it, uh, and and definitely, uh, it would be fair to say, I guess, uh, yes, it would be much more dangerous to our form of democracy if public policy were to continue to be uh, rooted in. Uh, or advancing uh, biblical law, no doubt about it. Yeah, it would be far. I would. I think it would be more dangerous than, uh, you know, some secular strident type of uh, political views. You know, there's two parts of this too that uh, really kind of strike me, and one is, uh, well, two things that I'm surprised that these people don't uh, ask themselves while they're getting this indoctrination. One is that there would seem to be an apparent conflict between American laws and biblical laws. And two, and I'm sure that there's a lot of patri- American patriotism, American nationalism going on at these conferences, that uh, they are very anti-terrorist, and they understand the terrorists as being, I'm sure in their terms, Islamo-fascist, Islamist, some sort of religious fundamentalist that wants to force their way onto the world in the, in the Middle East and Central Asia. So it amazes me that when you have these two contradictions, you're in a fundamentalist organization, a religious organization yourself, trying to... Uh, re, uh, replace American laws with uh, with biblical laws, and uh, you are trying to uh, you know bring about a kind of reactionary kind of a you know a Taliban in the United States. What did you ever hear anybody questioning this kind of thinking, or did they just it, because it's faith they just completely believed it? Did you ever hear any type of controversy or even debate within the Southern Baptist Convention that this Reconstructionist path? This far more fundamentalist path, especially in the light of 9/11, might not be the direction that the Christian right wants to go. At this conference in Asheville, none, none whatsoever. It, it totally uh, it, it surpassed. Uh, it, it was not on their radar at all. Indeed, uh, the enemies for these folks at this conference are here in America, and they're not religious people. They're they're they're, they're gay people. Uh, they're people who support reproductive rights. Uh, they're uh, uh, quite frankly Democrats. A lot of Democrats. I mean that 
you know, there's a lot, plenty of Democrat bashing Hillary and Barack Obama in particular, uh, and 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 a lot of thought that you know, again, the the, the major enemies at this conference were all uh, domestic Hollywood, you know, popular popular culture. Uh, th- th- this is what riled these folks up: public education. They can't stand the public schools. Uh, but uh, uh, fundamental uh, is- Islamists, uh, no, that that was not once uh, mentioned uh, or discussed at this conference. Is this all just a front? Because you talk about how these organizations do have their own homeschooling apparatus, and they have their you know card tables, uh, uh, you know, and their sales of homeschooling paraphernalia that you can go take your kids out of school and put them in your nice safe home, keep them from all the other kids and the evil influences of bad kids and the public schools. Uh, is this? I mean, is that the shakedown that's going on? That this is about. Some other thing, homeschooling paraphernalia. I mean, is is this all? Is this all some bigger, you know, pyramid or Amway scheme where they're trying to get money out of you the whole time? Or did you believe that this was uh, not that materialistic? <laughs> no, I vacillated between my thinking on that when I was there. I had some other folks with me, and I would talk with them after I got out of the the day on the compound. And you know, I I think that there's a there are some. Uh, with some of those speakers, some of those worldview speakers, that yeah, this I, I thought to myself, do they really believe this stuff, this rhetoric, oh, or is this all about making some money? Uh, I think that they're, you know, yeah, there's some of that in there that this is uh, nothing but uh, whipping a crowd into a frenzy. It's good for fundraising and uh, good for selling some books too. I think there's an element of that, uh, but then I but there's another part of me that believes people like Gary North, uh, Gary Cass. Uh, folks with the Alliance Defense Fund, who I think, I believe anyway, are really, really very, very serious and and very much dislike uh, the Bill of Rights, dislike uh, a lot of freedom, quite frankly, and really do honestly believe uh, that their duty is to establish in America, and for that matter, the rest of the world, the planet, uh, a biblical worldview, as they like to call it. Uh, I, I think, I think, yeah. So I think, but there's a mixture. I think also there's other people that are it's it's that are, that are there for, you know, uh, money making reasons. I mean, you know, selling curriculums uh, and selling them to a lot of parents. You know, selling curriculums and then selling a lot of books. Right. Uh, are we experiencing kind of uh, you know? Uh, Death of democracy by pinpricks. That is to say that, you know, a lot of people are saying right now that look at the uh, shift the Supreme Court is taking to the right. A lot of people are saying that that is because of pressure put on the Republican Party uh, by the Christian right. So are we not going to see necessarily a, you know, constructionist coup that, you know, coup d'etat where all of a sudden they enforce uh, biblical laws that are etched in stone? Or is what we're going to see a continuing, and this is the, uh, you know, the uh, result of the Christian right and folks like the Reconstructionists, a continuing uh, winnowing away, winnowing away of our uh, democratic rights within this country is—is uh, is that what you think is more likely to happen? Just these these constant pinpricks, or do you think that there is going to be some other larger upheaval? No, I don't. I don't see uh, some other larger upheaval. I, I see more of a a continual uh, erosion, uh, especially if the Republican Party continues to, uh, you know, maintain and be very influenced by the Christian right. And they're able to uh, continue to uh, get 
you know, plenty of people in Congress and that matter for the White House. But they're not going to have a steady stream on that. I think that they're going to lose at, at some point the White House, and they have lost the House of Representatives. So it's going to wax and wane, as I've said. But I do think it's going to be erosion. I mean, definitely within the last, uh, you know, you know, eight, six or seven years under the current administration, uh, we, we, we've seen uh, some, some significant erosion of fundamental rights uh, that are grounded in the Bill of Rights. That's all there is to it, whether it's habeas corpus, uh, privacy rights. And you're right, the Supreme Court, which uh, was influenced, obviously, by President George W. Bush. He got to put uh, you know, John Roberts and, and Samuel uh, Alito on the court. And both of those judges were vetted by Christian right organizations. That's uh, the Alliance Defense Fund, uh, the American Center for Law and Justice, which is Pat Robertson's legal arm. Both of those groups were highly uh, instrumental in vetting uh, those two justices for President Bush. And as Linda Greenhouse, the New York Times, and other uh, pundits have pointed out, uh, the Roberts Court, especially in this term, has taken a dramatic uh, step, uh, veer to the right. Uh, and and that's going to have an impact for uh, quite some time. Obviously, uh, for progressives, we, we've got to hope that there is not going to be another vacancy on the Supreme Court until this current administration is is ended. Uh, having said that, uh, the current administration does have and will have opportunity to continue to uh, place judges on the federal courts. And there's the U.S. district courts and there's the appellate courts. And those courts, quite frankly, in a lot of ways, uh, are more powerful than the Supreme Court. They rule on a lot more things. They rule on a lot more issues. And and Bush does have, you know, uh, uh, what, a little over two years now, 18 months or something like that, uh, still to... Uh, so it's not a little over two years, but uh, close to two years, mm-hmm. uh, to influence the federal courts. Uh, we, we definitely hope, though, that the Supreme Court, that there will be no more vacancies because it has taken a, a sharp right and is helping to uh, erode some very fundamental rights that we've held and, and uh, for in this country very dear for a long, long time. And again, that erosion uh, has been uh, largely driven by the Christian right. Yeah. Uh, one last question for you, for you, Jeremy. We've been speaking with Jeremy Leeming. He's uh, been on our show this morning to talk about his article that was posted at alternate.org. Christian Reconstructionists are trying to take dom- dominion in America, and they have powerful friends. Jeremy is a communications associate for the Amer- for Americans United for Separation of Church and State. Check out their uh, website at www.au.org. Uh, Jeremy, we have one last question for you, and the last question we have for our guests is always the question from hell, the question we hate to ask. You might hate to answer, but uh, it usually just blows up in our face. One of the things that uh, I think is another compounding factor to create almost like a perfect storm of activism, in a sense, for Reconstructionists and the Christian right, is uh, that they not only have uh, politics, they not only have religion, they also have the sense of that they're fighting for, you know, not only their souls, but for their own, for their very survival, that they believe that they that Christians are being persecuted, that this uh, persecution is going to lead to marginalization, marginalization leads to discrimination, and eventually discrimination leads to what they think is genocide. They believe that they are in the fight of their lives. Um, one, and that's, you know, one of their major grievances. Like right here, it says, uh, 
at this Worldview Super Conference, they came to hear fundamentalist Christian speakers rail about the nation's uh, moral confusion, claim the public schools are bastions of secular humanism, and warn that Christians, especially their type of Christians, are in danger of being persecuted by America. So in, our question from hell for you is, in doing this interview this morning, by getting some of our listeners aware that there is a very strong and powerful uh, part of the Christian right movement here in the United States that are Reconstructionists that want to replace American law with biblical law, have we participated in the persecution of these Christians by merely informing people that this is what's going on? Uh, no, not at all. For, well, you know, first of all, I think that the rhetoric, I think it's paranoid rhetoric, for one thing. It's over-the-top, overwrought, and terribly, uh, uh, extremely paranoid. Again, as I was talking with some of my friends who joined me at this conference, they didn't attend, but I told them about it, we all just thought it was sounded extremely paranoid, because if you if you think about it, in reality, and you look around, you... It's just ludicrous to claim that Christians, even fundamentalists, are being persecuted in this country. This country is very religious, uh, and you'd have to be uh, deaf, dumb, and blind not to recognize that it's also a Christian majority. Our government acknowledges God on many, many occasions all the time. Take a look at your currency. You can flip on the TV, and you'll run across a TV preacher, I'm pretty sure, every you know second of the day. Uh, you know, Movies, Hollywood is constantly putting out more and more films that cater to uh, Christian folks. So the talk that there is marginalization and efforts to keep uh, Christians quiet, I think, is not only, it's, it's, it's a lot of it's paranoia, a lot of it is also used to raise a lot of money. So, I, you know, yes, I do think that there'll be, there'll be plenty of folks uh, on the religious right who will point to this article, uh, your program, or this interview, and say, ah, oh, see, here's evidence of uh, of another secularist uh, bashing on Christians and and trying to uh, persecute us. Again, I I have no problem with these folks being fundamentalists and uh, enjoying their rhetoric and and talking amongst themselves and whatnot. Uh, I do think it's important to point out and to to let other folks know that some of them within the movement are far more uh, interested in, in 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 just talking about these things. They would actually like to see law. Uh, based on some of their thoughts, uh, like say the federal marriage amendment, keeping gay people from being married, uh, that's some you know, or or totally shutting down reproductive rights. Uh, those things are things that uh, Americans need to be aware of that 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 are that are going on because they are a uh, they're a danger to uh, freedom and religious liberty for all people, not just a Christian fundamentalists. Uh, so I don't know if I answered the question, but no, I don't. I don't think that my this article here, or even the interview, will it be used? Uh, you know, will it be pointed to as evidence or some kind of evidence that Christians are being persecuted? Probably, but I think that a lot of Christians and other people, non-religious people, uh, realistically know that there is no kind of persecution going on. It's just you've got a a, a bunch of very strident people who really don't like popular culture at all, and for that matter, don't like democracy. Well, Jeremy, I really appreciate you being on the show with us this morning. Uh, say hello to Reverend Barry Lind for us. Uh, he was on our show back in December, and he's always it's always great to have him on uh, our show. And for people who want to find out more about Americans United for the Separation of Church and State, all they have to do is go to www.au.org. Our guest this morning has been Jeremy Leeming. Thank you very much for being on the show. 
Okay, thank you for having me. You're welcome. You are here, and this is hell. Man, those conservative reconstructionists have really had a couple of successful decades since this interview, haven't they? Yet they still cling to their paranoid and or cynical persecution complex. Now that they've captured their favorite reactionary branch of the U.S. government and given it supremacy, judicial supremacy that is, they're asking, they're using it as a kill switch on democracy. Maybe it's the robes that draw these religious fanatics to SCOTUS. Who knows? All I know is that these religious conservatives seem to be hell-bent on turning the body into a sort of clerisy. An all-knowing, morally upstanding body that allows democratic self-government to a point, but reserves itself the power to impose their vision of God's law on us all, believers and non-believers alike. I can think of another country with this sort of setup. I think it was part of our old war criminal friend, uh, George W. Bush, who, when running for office, uh, referred to this country as a member of a so-called axis of evil. What was that place called again? Ah, yes. The Islamic Republic of Iran. Our robed clerics, excuse me, justices, are uh, coming to resemble theirs. A nice clerisy sitting on top of a parliamentary democracy to act as a kill switch whenever the people themselves defy what they regard as God's covenant. This is all despite the fact that many, if not most, of these religious fanatics see Iran as an embodiment of evil, a sworn enemy, even though the religions that these respective clerisies rule in the name of share very common intertwined roots. Slouching toward Gomorrah since 1996, this is hell. And if you like what you just heard or were disturbed by Jeremy Leeming's report on creeping theocracy, consider supporting This Is Hell on Patreon. Not only do you support programming that will you'll be hard-pressed to find on commercial radio or the rest of the corporate mediascape, you gain access to hundreds of past Patreon episodes featuring weekly monologues by Chuck accompanied by timely interviews from our deep archives that go back to the 1990s. You also get a $5 discount on all merch from our website, first crack at answering the question from hell for the week, and of course access to our weekly Patreon-exclusive podcast that goes online every Thursday morning. You also get to ask Chuck any question from hell you want. While recording each Patreon show, I select a question submitted by a Patreon listener. Ask Chuck while I watch him squirm in the interview booth across the glass. It really is a sight to behold. I look forward to doing that with our fearless leader again. Next up, we have yet another moment of truth from esteemed orator and man of letters, Jeff Dorchin. I'd say that I have him on the line, but that would be a lie. This moment of truth, like this episode, is pre-recorded. No live streaming this week. And I'm just pushing play. 
Brace yourselves. Astrocrats, welcome to the moment of truth, the thirst that is the drink. On Tucker Carlson's show, Donald Dump, the would-be dictator, or more formally would-be penis potato, asserted that public excretion of human waste only began when he took office. This is a man ostensibly from New York City, long known for such street fragrances. He said it in the midst of producing a muesli of nonsense phrases. The comical thing was Tucker nodding and grunting in agreement as if to say, Right, that's exactly when I started pissing on the streets. I think we all did. Yeah, yeah, George Soros paid us to do it. And then I realized, November 9th, 2016... That is, in fact, the date when I took my vow of public urination and defecation. I started pooping and peeing all over my neighborhood as if I had no respect for myself or anyone else. It's inappropriate and disgraceful, but like incontinent fascist Tucker Carlson, I can't help myself. Astrocracy. Rule by the stars. Not rule by asses. That's any rule, and not rule by astro-croc, though it is a crock of magical thinking, much like the principle that ruthless, unbridled greed will somehow benefit the many rather than just the few, and put an end to poverty, which is a sick joke on us. Capitalism requires that a visible percentage of the would-be workforce be in brutal poverty. Out of one croc and into another croc, actually, it'll be the same croc. Either way, there are thousands upon thousands of people living on the street right here in the most wealthy and spiritually airheaded nation on earth, and that won't change until we somehow unbrainwash ourselves from our radical capitalist indoctrination and, of course, our worship of Disney magic, which I'll get to later. The advent of the reality TV president has, of course, led, inevitably, to the appearance of the flaky New Age self-help entrepreneur guru as prospective nominee. I'm not saying that idiot has a chance in hell of becoming president, but after 2016, hell is apparently not the worst place to locate your chances if you're an idiot. Do I belittle Marianne Williamson? with her prescription of solving the world's problems with unicorn flatulence and echinacea enemas. Oh, by all means, I do belittle her. Is it sexist for me to do so? I feel the same way about Deepak Chopra, Bikram Chowdhury, Tony Robbins, Dr. Oz, any number of snake oil life coaches and faith healers of body and soul. The whole menu of astro-twats. The astro-twat industry does aid predatory men, while it takes the money of mostly women. I don't know why. Probably because we haven't progressed much as a society regarding inequality of all kinds, especially patriarchal hegemony, since back when gullible women were mocked for buying into Ouija boards, seances, Swedenborg, and Mesmer. This misogynist stereotype comes down to us from the age of whalebone corsets and hasn't altered much, if at all, on the journey. So yes... I think of Marianne Williamson as Lady Bracknell with a physical trainer, crystals, a laptop, a copy of The Secret, and an MBA. That's not the worst I think of her. She's a practitioner of uber-capitalist 
con artistry of the type that gave us the instant blood sample analyzer, the fire festival, Elon Musk as civic savior, Bill Gates as philanthropic saboteur of the public education system, and Steve Jobs as Jesus Christ. Not that she's not sincere. No con artist is as effective as the one who believes her own con. We have got to destroy this magical thinking. It may seem cruel, like killing Bambi or refusing to clap for Tinkerbell, but we're only hurting ourselves by remaining in thrall to the day of vacation of Disney. We must wean ourselves from Disney magic. It's an opioid of the people. It really shouldn't be that hard. Mickey Mouse is the most generic piece of character ever created. He's nothing. He has no traits. He doesn't have urges, except perhaps to get married and have a small suburban house with a white picket fence and a dog and a Kramer-esque friend who's also somehow a dog. He's got no ethnicity, and you know what that means. He's white. He's a white mouse in blackface. Disney invented the anodyne minstrel show. He invented racism for the millions. Racism for everyone. A racist black caricature even black people can love. Where Al Jolson failed, Mickey Mouse has triumphed. But rationalism sure can't save us. Human beings don't operate rationally. Wouldn't it be nice if there were some decent standard bearers for the rational? Now, Harry Houdini used to go around exposing spiritualist frauds. In place of him, we have Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins, two of the most disagreeable rationalists around, who can't even escape from a safe submerged in water, let alone from the chains that bind their imaginations. As much as I would love for an asteroid to arrive and crush Williamson, I'd like to crush the religion-baiting atheist personally with an anvil dropped from an upper-story window, like a cartoon. A Disney cartoon. Hoist with your own cartoon, you Disneyland fascists. You're all Disneyland fascists. The Swedenborgian spiritualists and the rigid rationalists alike. Worthless, worthless, adding nothing but bland minstrelsy to the public discourse. The process by which these clowns infiltrated our political process is obvious. Not that we didn't have clowns before, but they were a slightly better class of clown. The clowns now are clearly buying their way through the filter, the filter that is supposed to sift out the fecal particulates. Ah, that filter never works so well anyway. It's just that you were supposed to... I don't know, let's just scrap this system that allows clowns to rule us and start over. Reboot. Nancy Reagan was an astrocrat and she was piloting the ship of state while Reagan was sliding down the slippery slope of dementia, steering a course by the stars. There's something romantic in that, isn't there? Is it really so bad to guide the ship of state by celestial signposts? Is it any worse than what we each do every day, literally, with our GPS? Is it any worse than voting for any other run-of-the-mill rich person or rich person's tool who has no incentive to solve the problems of ecological destruction, war, poverty, persecution, and hunger? Yes and no. We've always had captains who say, you can't have this, you can't have that. You can't have peace, you can't have plenty. You can't have justice, you can't have freedom. You can't even have an end to slavery. The system's end game is to make each of us the property of someone. I've been watching it happen since the 70s because I've only been a conscious being since then. I'm sure the process began long before I was born. The time will come when we will have our say. We'll say, Captain... We don't accept your explanation of why we can't have these things. The founding documents promise these things. The mythos and ethos of our society promise these things. We demand them now, not later. Now. Feed the starving, 
house the homeless, stop mutilating the weak, stop sucking all the wealth off the street, stop thwarting democracy, stop destroying the earth, and you're rationalizing about why we can't save it. We don't believe you, and we won't stand for it. We will smash you with our asteroids and anvils unless you shape up. The Celestials were never our friends. Ask the ancients, who really knew them. They could, with one gesture, lend you luck, and then just as capriciously snatch it away. The only surefire way to go, which the Athenians tried to do but never could, is to live by the paraphrased advice of the bumper sticker. Stop making stupid people president! This has been the moment of truth. Good day! And we're back. Something feels off not having Jeff remain on the line for the witty, always highbrow banter about the interview and topics du jour. But it definitely helps me in post-production when I have to make our content radio-friendly. Stay beautiful, good sir. It's now time to read the rest of your responses to this week's question from hell. And as always, anoint another listener. I won't have Chuck's help this week, so it's all my fault. Again, our question from hell this week is, what superpower do you hope Chuck has after his surgery? What superpower do you hope Chuck has after his surgery? Let's see what's going on on Twitter. We haven't gotten to you Twitter folks yet. Josias or Josias responds the power to read books and articles in his sleep so he can continue his streak of great interviews get well soon Chuck and there's a sunglasses emoji there that power would have come in handy in uh, history graduate school for sure Uh, Dean T also on Twitter responds the ability to convince everyone that is that less is more, thereby solving the worldwide problem of ecological overshoot. Amen, Dean. Let's see. On Patreon, looks like little drippy dentist got one in under the wire. He predicts that Chuck will pull himself up by his own bootstraps. <laughs> like to see him try let's see who am I leaving out oh discord of course always last but not least reliable Kim G responds to the question what superpower would you like Chuck to have after his surgery Kim G says flora power (laughs) good gut pun Cam, also on Discord, hopes that Chuck has the ability to talk to animals so we can finally find out what's up with these things. I want a Mel interview and how, but man, I bet that interview will not be radio friendly. I have a feeling that that cat has a filthy mouth. Urodov says, wizard eyes, in quotes. Improved vision, but only into the subtle realm. 
And last but not least, on Discord, EXE0422. Hopes that Chuck will develop this power. Due to objects left behind by the surgical team during the course of the procedure, Chuck will awaken from his anesthesia as Edward Scalpel Hands. <laughs> nice work, everybody. I think that rounds out. Let me check for stragglers. Yeah, that accounts for all of your responses to our question from hell. And it's a tough one. It's a tough field. I have to decide now. Uh, the pressure is on. Uh, some that stood out to me were Langold Negs, etc. Um, all of the various references to the imploded millionaire and billionaire submarines, such as able to withstand over 380 atmospheres of pressure and thrive under it, coming from Chris D. Very nice. The power of sophistry, that gave me a good chuckle. The ability to warm up beverages, such as coffee and tea, only using his mind. Lots of great mundane powers you all came up with. Um, Chuck will pull himself up by his bootstraps. Uh, selfishly, power to read books and articles in his sleep. That seems like it would come in handy. Um, Tom White saying anarchism. John T. saying the ability to transmit radio without external equipment, same as Bionic Bigfoot. Extra limbs from Matt L. Fabio L. the ability to not miss his button. I think I finally figured out what you meant by that, Fabio. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I assume you're talking about when he misses pushing the mic on button during an interview on his talent pod which is a little box that controls whether our mics are hot or not. Um, just a hunch. Uh, Flora Power by Kim G. Strong response as always. As well as the ability to talk to animals. Uh, specifically the male interview. Uh, the Edward Scalpel Hands comment from EXE0422 is strong, but I think this week's winner... That's a tough one. I think it has to go to Essential over on Patreon, who responded, The magic to morph into mini mighty Chuck Rangers or reassemble ad hoc, simply because <laughs> it really made me picture that scene, and uh, I just can't get it out of my head. So, Essential, congratulations. You are this week's winner of the Question from Hell. You can email Chuck at chuck at thisishell.com to claim your choice of merch, and we'll get that to you post-haste. Uh, that wraps up this week in hell. Next week, we look forward to another collection of interviews that took place on or around uh, America's birthday, U.S. Independence Day, July 4th. You'll be stuck with me. Will Ippen once again. Coming up on Monday, July 3rd, is an interview from July 5th, 2008, when Rick Shankman, author of Just How Stupid Are We, 
facing the truth about the American voter from basic books, the second chapter of which was excerpted at Tom Dispatch as the article, How Ignorant Are We? The voters choose, but on the basis of what? Rick is an Emmy Award-winning investigative reporter, a New York Times best-selling author, associate professor of history at George Mason University, and is also the founder and editor of History News Network, a wonderful website you should all check out if you want to kind of read historians rant about all sorts of topics and sometimes get into fights with each other. It features articles by historians on current events, and it has a very lively comment section. He also blogs the blog How Stupid. Then on Tuesday, July 4th, we feature an interview from July 4th, 2009. Live from London, Saskia Sassen, 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 I'm sure I'm butchering that, is a professor of sociology and a member of the Committee on Global Thought at Columbia University. Saskia's most recent book is 2007's A Sociology of Globalization from Norton. I imagine she has more recent books than that. This is coming from the description from 2009. She wrote this week's, or that week in 2009's Open Democracy piece, The New Executive Politics, A Democratic Challenge. She also wrote that year in April, uh, Too Big to Save, The End of Financial Capitalism. Looking forward to that one. And then last, on Wednesday, July 5th, we have an interview from July 4th, 2009 as well. The very same show. In which Chuck interviews Chalmers Johnson who wrote the Tom Dispatch piece, How to Deal with America's Empire of Bases, and the Truth Dig piece, Chalmers Johnson on the Cost of Empire. Chalmers' last story for Tom Dispatch, back that February, written uh, with Tom editor Tom Engelhart, was entitled, Economic Death Spiral at the Pentagon. That's an intriguing title. Uh, Chalmers was president of the Japan Policy Research Institute and professor emeritus at the University of California, San Diego. Chalmers wrote the trilogy that includes Nemesis, The Crisis of the American Republic, Blowback, The Costs and Consequences of American Empire, and The Sorrows of Empire, Militarism, Secrecy, and the End of the Republic. All three are available from Metropolitan Books. We will also hear another Rotten History from Rinaldo Migaldi, another Past Inside the Present installment with historian Sebastian Flipper, and a Moment of Truth from Jeff Dorchin. Prefiguring his super truth, that's all one word, trademark icon. Prefiguring his super truth items, Jeff once told us about some bats he made up. 
This is bad country after all. I'm Will Ippen, filling in for Chuck Mertz. Thank you for listening. I'll catch you next week. Don't do anything I wouldn't do. My demon is on my butt. <laughs> my demon talks to me in profanity like a seller. And my demon tries to knock me down. And my demon tries to put me on a hell ride. Thank you for listening to This Is Hell. For more interview hell and to support the show, visit thisishell.com.